Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Hi, good afternoon and welcome to our last session for the day and last session for Okama Family Business Conference. We're joined this afternoon by um, a, a group from Global Evergreen Alliance. We have Ulrich Bosch and Moritz Bosch from the Bosch Family Foundation, as well as Christopher Armitage and Irene Udrok from the Global Evergreen Alliance. You're welcome. Thank you. So I'll, I'll hand over to you to give your presentation. Yes. So good evening, good night, or whatever it is. I thought that as I think we are not many persons, maybe we could make a moment of presentation to know who is the audience and put us in the in a round. Let's come to the rest. Yes, that's it. You see. Here we are, and if it would be possible, I'm my, I am Ulrich Bosch. I am here because this is a family business conference and the Bosch company. I don't know if it's necessary to present it. It's a company fabrication mostly of car parts, but of other things like fridges too, and many other things really. That's not necessary to speak too much about, but it's a great and international multinational company. And it was founded by my grandfather. It's today not exactly a family business because it's mostly owned by a foundation, but I will explicate this later. But this for so why I am here, I'm working in our family foundation. Yeah, I take next. I'm Moritz Orisan. I'm, yeah, I'm here to uh, represent and to uh, um, tell the story of, of a next generation uh, of next generation engagement and how it is related with philanthropy and in this case evergreening and how um, yeah my cousins and i we are we are many um, okay yeah we had like around nearly 30 cousins and so we are we started to organize around um also around this issue and yeah, and this is what I wanted to explain to you people today. Should I go ahead? Yeah. Okay, so my name is Irene Ojuok from Kenya, currently in Germany, undertaking my studies in uh, matters land degradation. I'm also a champion of uh, land restoration. I will be sharing more on this. So it's a pleasure to join this team. Thank you. And uh, my name is Chris Armitage. I'm the, the CEO of the Global Evergreening Alliance. I apologize that my camera doesn't appear to be working. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll keep trying to rectify that through settings. I, I would like to interact with everyone a bit more meaningfully with video. Um, but uh, um, I'll be speaking to you a little bit about the, uh, the uh, alliance and uh, who we are, a little bit about why we, uh, we do what we do and some of the work that we're undertaking a bit later in the presentation. Thank you. Is it possible that the audience can talk or is it only chat? 
well to know who stays with us in the Zoom. Yes, the audience is only on chat. Um, so you can go ahead and then afterwards, um, they will be asking their questions in the comments section. And um, if you would like to interact with any of them, then at some point we can give them the mic after you've finished speaking. Okay, fine. So I could begin with my story. As I said, I'm here because I'm the grandson of a famous German. This was really a 19th century person because he is married two times and father is from the second marriage. He had 60 years. My grandfather had 60 years when my father was born. So there's this generation gap. And he was a man with very clear ideas what to do. He went to America because he, see, he saw that in the United States there were the new technologies and he wanted to know what it is. He stood in the company of Thomas Edison and learned there the important the electricity will be. He returned to Germany with the idea, I want my own company and this has to work in electricity. And he did this. Did this. this became a great story. But in the same time, as he had a strongly uh, thinking of family, com community, nation and future, he always looked what to do with this, not only that the company works in a correct way, but to what to do with the much money he made, because he really, he really he made very much money. He invested in hospitals and education. And this was for him a together thing. And this made that when he, well, he, he died, not early, he was an old man, but my father had only 12 years. In this moment, of course, my father could not be a director. And so he let that the company should be, could be self-owned with collaboration of the family and they should continue mostly to continue with the company, of course, but too with all the benefits things with the philanthropic projects he had done. So in the 60s, when my father was director in the company, they decided to, to, to change the property. And now, since, since the 60s, 90% of the ownership of the company is a foundation, working in peace, in education, in health, and some more things, the Robert Bosch Foundation. A foundation which actually is, be is beginning to make a strategy for Africa. So I think you will not have heard of it now, till now, but maybe in the next years this could change. And the, the family is very, very near of the company. My brother is in the foundation, the chief of advisory board, and he is in the advisory board of the company. But I, for example, did not have a place in this because my thoughts were a bit different. But let's, let me continue a moment with my, with my grandfather alive because there's one story which is connected with our thema. In his older days, there were problems in Germany. He did not like the Nazis. And he saw that the World War II was coming and he did not like to produce arms. They had to produce arms for the, for the world. So he retired from the company and invested in agriculture. That's what he did. And this, and this was the idea of 
to scale up the production because one reason for the for the for the Nazis a justification why they had to occupy the world was that Germany is too, too, too small. There is not enough food for the Germans. And he said, peace is better and we have to produce more. And that's the same story. What is the thing that this is connected with what we will speak after with the global evergreening alliance. The scaling up of production of agricultural production helps to peace. Now, this really is a bit too early. Now we can step with me. I did not step in the company because really I have been a bit different. I loved forest and nature and the Bosch company, they produced cars and I thought there are too many cars in my world in Germany and, and the forests are suffering. Indeed, this is the case. Now we have great problems with the forests in Germany. This is not so much because of cars, but it's because of climate change, change, and this has to do with cars. And I thought it's better to make other things than, than more cars. So I stepped really far away from the company for a time. But with the time, I learned that the company really had this sustainability interest. And I learned to respect it when I saw what they do. They are actually the world champion of climate neutrality, of carbon neutrality in industry, because they are the only one in 2020. And this made for me that I respected it very much. It was too late to make something inside the company. Of, of course, I had 40, 50 years. But, of, but we had our family foundation. And in our family foundation, I'm leading the environment department where I could do the things I wanted to do. So this for me was the way to stay in my work life too inside of the family. This moment for you, Moritz. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and this, as I'm part of the family, now I wanted to explain you the journey of us, the next gens. Um, Yeah, speaking for our generation, I can say that mm, we just started two years ago or so to organize ourselves. Most of us, until recently, um, were not taking responsibility of our position and um, our possibilities uh, because we we're occupied living a normal life, study, working, and this family. Yeah, you know. Um, now we hold regular online meetings um, with, with my cousins, as I told you, and we think about long-term strategies. We talk about what we like about the engagement of our parents' generations, but also what we would change, of course. We are a very heterogeneous group. Some work at universities, others direct start a startup, um, and many are busy taking care of their children, um, and some are very young and still studying in school. Our family, in, in the, the family in our case, the Bosch family, gives us a good opportunity to get in touch with the pro with projects um, that make the wealth of our family work for good. This foundation, and where my father leads the environmental department, is also a useful and professional tool to support projects or people we know personally, um, but where we are hesitant to give money directly. We try to support the older, older generation with our skills. So I give advice in projects related to sustainable farming because of my university degree. 
um, my older brother, he works directly in the foundation, managing the communication with funded projects and others support their expertise as social workers. Now, as with our, uh, with the creation of our group, of our next generation group, we saw also a boom of engagement with, with the company, with, with the Bosch company itself. And now many of us participate in the me meetings and visit the factories as we want to know better how the company works. We are quite proud of Bosch. It is, it is one of the world leaders um, towards a more sustainable industrial culture, let's say like this. But we are also aware that um, we need to support the positions inside the company um, so that the good ideas become reality. Because of course, in a company, you have also um, always a power power struggle going on and there we but there we can do something because we have a voice so like a more general thing is uh, that next generations and the millennials and all we young and younger people than i um many of us we want to be perceived as actors of change in society um and as a part of the solution um the interest of our generation in environmental and social justice is very high. So, um, but looking at now from the perspective of the founders or the established people working in the companies and family businesses, um, this interest uh, for uh, as an actors that the next generation has that can serve as an answer to create engagement with in family business or in the companies. Um, philanthropy also offers an opportunity for engagement of next gens and other passive family members because it's not only the next gens that are not really taking an active par part in a family business. Um, in these sectors, um, uh, so uh, when we do philanthropy, people do not only engage um, with the family business and the com uh, company, but it's also about financial literacy because now we are trying, we want to learn how money works. And um, uh, so we, we have an, an, an incentive to learn about uh, how yeah, business administration and these things that without phila the philanthropy, we would not have. But now to come back to the evergreening project, um, this is until now uh, the project where most of us have an interest as there are very positive outcomes for everyone. And I am, for me, I'm very enthusiastic about the environmental benefits because remember I work, um, yeah, I, I work in a department of soil science. Maybe I didn't tell you before, but I'm doing my PhD in soil microbiology. Um, and I see also opportunity to, uh, um, to reduce climate change. Um, some of my cousins, they're interested in empowerment of rural livelihoods and uh, le leading to social stability, peace and gender equity. And others, um, I have uh, some cousins that are very keen about the benefits and uh, for opportunities for economic growth of communities. So this, that we see this project as so interesting, later Irene and Chris will explain you more in more detail, has led me to support my father in this task and participate in international conferences, but I would not have done without this. Thank you. And I'm happy about So we'll turn to me a moment. But I wanted to indicate now my way to the Evergreening Alliance, because in the foundation, in the family foundation, 
in environment. We work in education, in uh, sustainable agriculture, and many other things. And but I had always a feeling, really, that all we do, all what we do, is small, seeing the problems how they are, and many, and the, um, many things happening which really are going worse. And what we are do, we, we we work and for something better, but. But sometimes I'm very skeptical what we can do with us. Many people would say we have very much money, but if you see the greatest of the world, it's not so much, really. Then come when, when for me, very important story that we are funding, we are funding the Right Livelihood Award. This is an award for persons who developed, developed some game changing action ID and reality for basic problems of our future. So they look not so much for the problems, but for the solutions. And I went, I went to an award ceremony when the award was given to Tony Rinaudo and Jakuba Svagadogo. These two are really reforestation heroes of the world. They developed what they do in Africa. One is origin from Africa and the other one is Australian, but lived many years in Chad and uh, sorry, in Niger. Niger. And I have a beautiful photo of this too. Here it is. Yes. And the great method they have, what is such a game-changing story, I think, is the farmer-managed natural regreening. And Irene could explicate now how this works and what it is. Hmm. Hey, Irene, we don't hear you if you try to say something. Irene, you're on mute. Okay. Uh, I wanted to share my screen. Seems uh, I'm not able to share my screen. You have to click on the, the, there comes a picture of your screen. When you click share screen, there comes a picture of your screen and there you have to click and then you can click allow. Okay, okay. Still, the this second does icon not work. Can I, can I send it to you, then you run it for me? It's not, it's not working. It's the same as you have it already, as you sent already. Let me send it right, straight away. Then send it to me. Sorry, sorry, please. Yeah, you can send it. You sent it already, Irene? Yes. Yes, yes that is. Okay. You got it? No. Can, it's the same as you sent earlier or it's a new one? It's a new one. It's a new one. Yes. No. No. You've not received it. I no. think I think you, ha you have sent another mail. No, 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 we did not receive it. That's not true. You we got it? No, we've not got it. No. That's the problem. Oh, no. Could Chris go Our ahead? Sorry, Irene, are you suggesting that, that I go yes. ahead? Yes, yes, yes. So, and, then, and then you can come in after. Ah, yes. no, I think, Chris. Sorry? I think in this case, if we continue now with the conference, it's better I continue because I think the presenter chair could be the last. You, I, I, I thought you closed the story. Well, I can I continue with my story, and Irene, we hope that uh, that the mail enters or that she can share. Yes, I well, I, st I stood with Tony Renaudo and Jakuba Svakadogo. And learned about the FMNR, and you will know a bit later what is the FMNR exactly. Exactly. For me, this program gave very much confidence 
and I asked Tony really how the, what would be the best to help to scale up what they are doing, this regreening. And he told me I should fund the Global Evergreening Alliance. So to know what is a Global Evergreening Alliance, I went to Bamako the first time in my life to a conference where I knew Chris, for example, and many other very nice people to see what they're doing. And I began really to fund strongly the, the coming up of the Evergreening Alliance. That's the reason why I'm today here, because I think it's a great thing and it needs more, because together we can do more than some alone. The Evergreening Alliance is a kind of startup, and this means that you have to finance and grow strongly at the beginning, and the benefits will stay in the future. That's the moment we say, actually. It is a farmer story. And for this, we should realize that farmer is a family business, nearly always. And it's the oldest family business of the world. The farmer always thinks in the future, thinks in the next generation, thinks in his environment because he needs it for the future, he or she. This means that the sustainability is always part of the business. And two, I looked a bit at statistics and the F World Food Organization, the FAO, said that 90% of the world food production comes from family business. I never would have, would have imagined that it's so much. But this means that this family business is sustaining the situation of all the rural zones of the world, especially in Africa, where agriculture is the main income for so many people and a condition for a peaceful future and for development. You have to see for this that agriculture really is not a story of yesterday. The food is the most important commodity, the most important tradable good we have. What I saw when I later went to see what they are do, doing with the evergreening, but went for the, a bit I can present now the evergreening. You see left side, right side of this photo. This is in Uganda. Two years ago, right side was the same like the left, left side, but then they began to do the farmer managed natural greening. And you see the change. This makes the change that there can leave people, really. Not only there can go some cows for some week of the year, but there can really leave people and live from it. This is this farmer. He has actually one cow. He's a young man. He bought one and a half hectare of this land. He made FMNR. Now he has a forest, a young forest. But this gives, gives him the wood he, know, he, he needs, the shadow he needs, the fodder for the cow he needs. And he's actually constructing cows. This was a really nice example I have seen personally. And I wanted to mention the farmers, that this is not a people who doesn't know what to do and they are poor people and they need our help, but it's a strong, proud people. And if it's, it's, if it's to work with them, it's to do with them the business of them and of others. It is not only giving something for them because they need it. That's another story. We have to step out of this. The rich and the poor, the rich, rich have to give to the poor because the poor is poor. There's, we need a development, and these people develop what they do. And we have to work together. So today, the, of, of course, the challenges are great. There is population growth in Africa strong, 
There is the needs of the modern society, the young people. They don't want to live as their fathers and grandfathers lived. They want to have some goods more. We have problems. We have new problems with soil degradation and with climate change. And it's enormously difficult with this to guarantee social welfare, stability, and the business for the future generations. What we need absolutely is fertile soils and a stable local climate. For this, you need trees. These two photos, I made them in a small airplane, only 10 minutes, something, something like 10 minutes of difference near Lake Victoria. You see at the left side, there is living people, but nearly you don't see houses. Because there cannot leave more people. There is not enough production. At the right side, you see what is agroforestry. Well, how trees are changing living conditions. You see so many people living from this. And you see a beautiful environment. If you would stay there, you would hear the birds. And what this needs, the change from the left side to the right side, is advocacy because you need legal conditions. You need capacity building. You need organization. This needs programs and this needs money too. And the great thing of the Evercleaning Alliance is to find the money on global climate money, which is mostly governmental, and in carbon money, this comes from private sector, and to find how to connect this with the needs in, in the site, mostly in the side of Africa. With this now, I would like to leave it to Irene or to Chris. Irene. Thank you. Did you get Chris? Chris has the slides uh, and needs to be able to present. Can you do that, Chris? Certainly. I might be uh, just a second. Okay, thank you. Sorry, everyone, for this. Okay, put it on, yeah, full slide. Okay, thank you very much. I, I want to pick it up from uh, Ulrich's presentation and give you a practical African story. I have been in the implementation of farmer-managed natural regeneration for the last about six years in Kenya. And uh, I can attest that this is really a game changer. It's transforming lives. It's transforming landscapes, it's transforming livelihoods. Like I said earlier, I am currently doing my research at the University of Bonn, and uh, part of the funding for this research is actually from the Right Livelihood Academy, and I'm very privileged that uh, Urich Foundation is contributing to this course because for sure it's making a difference in many people's lives. I would like to Uh, quote some Kenyan uh, proverb that says that if there are problems today, may we be the people who can make a difference in terms of solving these problems in the interest of safeguarding our children's future. And we all know that there is a problem for sure. We have climate change, we have severe land degradation, everyone is trying all means to bring all resources, put minds together to resolve this challenge, but it's proving to be really a problem. However, there is something that Africa is really working on, and this is FMNR, and it's bringing a big difference. And it's transforming landscapes that were 
totally unexpected to change in the sense of becoming green because they were, you know, they're brown. The women you see there are women in Marsabit County who are supporting a young acacia tree to grow. And this is actually the principle around FMNR. Next slide. So what is the status of land degradation in Africa? So the, the, the map on my left is uh, the status of land degradation in sub-Saharan Africa. The, uh, the places that are painted red actually severely degraded. This is according to an economics of land degradation report, a survey that was done in 2015. I'm very sure that the situation is worse today, six years later. And uh, everyone is concerned. Everyone is worried. People are sitting around the table. People are working around the clock. Billions of dollars are moving into land restoration question. Targets have been set globally, locally, nationally, and including in the villages. People want to see a difference. Farmers want to smile, like you see the farmer on my right. They want to smile when they see their farms green. They want to smile when they see yields coming from their farms. They are tired of hunger. They are tired of poverty. They are tired of you know, looking for firewood hours. You know, women are struggling, going hours to look for firewood. They want to make a difference. Next slide. Further to this situation, it's important to note that 66 billion US dollars are lost to land degradation. I know that we have uh, economists probably here, business people. We know what 66 billion can do. And what makes my heart skip a bit is that every minute we are losing 66 hectares of land to land degradation. This is according to a UNEP report done in 2018. This must make all of us concerned if we have never known that. And 800 million people, majority of whom are in Africa, are food insecure. This is according to a FAO report in 2019. And globally, 135 million people face forceful migration. When people have to migrate, this is a recipe for conflict. Because when you leave your land, going to another place, where resources are already constrained, then the possibility that we are going to have conflict is very high. And the fact that we are going to even overstrain the already strained resources is even more certain. So this is also very worrying and very concerning. And furthermore, that the workforce that is required to make changes in the context like Africa are pushed to move out of the places where they need to be. Now, 55% of Africa is either highly degraded or severely degraded. That maybe proves the point why we are discussing this topic today, and that's why it's really concerning that something needs to be done. The interesting thing is that a lot of governments, a lot of people believe that you can only plant trees to have trees on your landscape. It's really unfortunate that billions of shillings have been spent in tree planting since the campaigns began, and they're even scaling up today. And uh, you can imagine that if we are spending 1,500 US dollars per hectare, if we are to regreen 23 million hectares, we need 34 billion annually. It's, it's just crazy, I think. And uh, worst of all is that 
only about 50% can survive in fair weather. But we all know that largely our landscapes are semi-arid or arid. And so then the practicality of tree planting in the arid areas is almost nil. So then even if we continue putting money in tree planting with all the benefits that it has, the likelihood of having trees on the landscape through tree planting is uncertain. In fact, maybe impossible. And I would say with confidence, it could be a waste of resources that would probably have been used otherwise to support communities in a different way. Next slide. So then the evolution of FMNR. This is what brings hope to communities. This is what has brought hope to landscapes. This has brought confidence that it is possible to reverse land degradation, and especially in assals. These are arid and semi-arid lands. So FMNR is a low-cost, sustainable land restoration approach that has proved to restore a lot of degraded landscapes in Africa and other parts of Africa. It started actually in 1983 in Niger, and uh, Tony Renardo, who is a, an agronomist, is the pioneer of this approach. Having gone through a lot of challenges trying to plant trees in the dry Sahel region in the country of Niger, one time a revelation came to him and he was able to see a potential in regeneration. And this gave birth to a practice that is actually old, but maybe for some reason, because of the challenges that have faced farmers for a very long time, they never thought that they could actually invest in an old practice that they used to do to address a problem that they had had for a very long time. Because it is a very simple. It's just about allowing the young trees, allowing the stumps to grow, reducing pressure in terms of food that come to the plants. Because when you see the picture on the systematic regeneration, you realize that most of the time, especially in the drylands, in, even in other places where the potential for regeneration exists, so many young you know, uh, uh, trees want to come up. And in that process, in a place that there is limited moisture content, there's limited nutrients, they never see the light of day. And because livestock continuously graze, destroy them, people, you know, the, the kind of farming that is done, people just slash and burn, or people just farm in a way that they clear all the vegetation, that really suppresses or disables the ability of the trees to survive. So the intentional or the intentionality of the farmer to manage a systematic regeneration of trees on their farms is the principle around FMNR. And it believes that there is a forest underground. So you don't have to plant a tree to have the trees on the landscape. And especially where there are existing stumps, there are existing rootstocks, then the seeds can actually you know, get dispersed and have an enabling environment to grow. So currently this uh, practice has been implemented in over 25 countries, about 18 in Africa. This tells you how Africa, in the desperation to restore its degraded landscapes, has embraced this approach and has owned it, and it's going to be the greatest, even as quoted in the previous Niger success story, as the greatest environmental transformation in the last 100 years. 
I don't think there's any other environmental transformation that has brought a difference in the last 100 years that compared to what we have seen in FMNR. The beauty with this approach is it's hinged on indigenous knowledge. So we are investing on what farmers know. There's a lot of richness in, in, in the indigenous knowledge that our people have. And they use this knowledge to regenerate their landscapes. They use this knowledge to benefit from trees as well as take good care of them. And this is the principle and this is the basis. And this is why it is working in Africa. And this is why it will continue working. We are not going behind. This can only go up and this can only be scaled out. And actually, for any reason, it, it is not majorly dependent on investments. I mean, terms, I mean, uh, external support, like, you know, donors have to supply or send money for people to plant trees. This is something that if farmers are empowered, if an enabling environment is provided, that, that propels the need to have trees on the farms, then regeneration will continue. Next slide. So in 1983, this was Niger, just to have a picture of the situation. Because sometimes people imagine that, yeah, if you go to a place that is very dry, nothing can happen. And so you just forget about trying anything. So this was Niger when Tony was in that country trying so much to put seedlings on the ground with all the challenges of water scarcity, the heat, and it couldn't work. But when FMNR began, 20 years later, you can see the picture next there, there was life. And this life was not only on the landscape, but the life was even manifested by in the farmers. We found from studies that about 200 million new trees were generated through FMNR, covering about 5 million hectares of farmland. This is documented largely, a very serious, very important success story for everyone to learn from. And this really transformed the agriculture sector. This is a country that depended largely on, on, on support in terms of food aid. Can you imagine that? they were able to yield about 500,000 tons more grain. I don't know whether even if USID, even if a philanthropist would go into a community, I'm not sure whether you can really give all this in a sustainable way. Because when you restore landscapes, you are addressing sustainability in terms of supply of food, in terms of supply of firewood, in a more realistic, in a more uh, dependable way and in a more empowering perspective. When you regenerate soils, when you restore soils, you're giving farmers the ability to address their challenge today and in the future. The farmers were able to get about $56 more by having trees on their landscapes. There are other benefits from trees. It's either firewood, you are either getting you know, uh, into beekeeping, so you're doing honey, so there are multiple benefits that these farmers experienced. So 2.5 million people roughly participated in this and were really directly affected or directly benefited from this. Next, beyond Niger, FMNR has been scaling and is still scaling. So this is just a picture of 
the Ghana Talency Project. You can see the transformation in that hill. Just to tell you how able FMNR is in terms of transforming landscapes. So from uh, one of the reports I have read, about 390,000 regenerated trees were, uh, were, were able to be uh, 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 counted on, on, on this project. And 94% uh, of the adopters reported increased in soil, increase in soil fertility. We all know that when you increase trees on the landscape, they are able to you know, improve the microclimate, improve moisture content, the organic matter, and all these are very important in ensuring that the soils are productive enough to address the agricultural needs. Next slide. The Ethiopia Humbo project is also a project very critical and very important to watch. Now, this is a satellite image of the, this project in 2005 and in 2017. And you can see how green the project looks in 2017. And this is a project that has really intensified uh, regeneration of trees. And uh, the most interesting thing is that they have gone ahead of the basic benefits to exploring the carbon credits. So this is an opportunity that lies broadly in Africa. We have land. If it is about land, I think we, we have enough land to restore. We have enough land to address our challenges. The problem is the status of this land. And so the Ethiopia project, the Humbo project gives an example of the opportunity that lies when you restore landscapes and uh, benefit from the carbon credits. So they were able to get a carbon revenue of about 555,000 US dollars, and they were able to sequester about 180,000 tons of carbon. This is really good. This is really a very sustainable approach to empowering communities in a more uh, business-oriented perspective, in a more development oriented perspective because when they get this money from the carbon credits, they're able to use them to address their economic needs and translate it. In fact, they have money to borrow because then they can access credit to address the other things that they may be missing as they conserve nature and biodiversity also improved. Very essential for our life. Next slide. Then this is the Kenya project. So this is a, a project called Imara, and this project is a project that I have been part of before I left. I actually worked with World Vision for the last 10 years. So this is a project I, I, I personally designed together with our team, and I saw the benefits, and this drives me every single day to push, to believe, and to convert people to understand the potential of FMNR. Can you imagine that the first picture shows one of the young trees? You know, farmers have to, uh, to, to believe what you're telling them to take part in it. So we have to demonstrate that FMNR can work. So in a context that tree planting is impossible, in a context where degradation is the norm, how do you change people's mindsets? FMNR is about regreening mindsets. That is when landscapes can be ruined. And so we see women who are really vulnerable to climate change issues participate in regeneration. 
And six months down the line, you can see the size of that tree. That really gives hope. And that has really motivated farmers to continue scaling more hectares of land into regeneration. And then the next picture with the arrows show you how the transformation happens. So to start with, you realize that soils are really less of moisture content. So we need to have a, a system to enhance the moisture content. So then the soil and water conservation structures are put in. So that when it rains, because we have very limited rainfall in these areas, when it rains, we have more infiltration. When we have more infiltration, grass will stay on the ground longer. The trees that have challenges to survive will actually have ability to survive. When you prune them, you reduce the demand for food, and then the few stems that you need have an opportunity to go up very fast. The grass that grows are very important for the pastoralists. And we have seen them harvest bales and bales of grass. And this fodder reduces the pressure for the, 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 the livestock. You know, most of the time when there is no pasture, these pastoralists move from their homesteads to far off areas. And when they do that, sometimes it escalates conflict. We have seen a lot of conflict in pastoralist communities. Why? Because of the pressure and they need to have their livestock survive. If they have to get this livestock survive, they have to go and find places. But with FMNR, you are able to enhance the production of pasture. And this really reduces the pressure for livestock, the, the, the pressure for the, the, the pressure for grazing areas. And so the farmers are able to live together in cohesion, unity, peace, and can be more productive. And I can assure you that even the livestock that they have, which are very, very important, both for their economy, for their culture, and for the economy even for our country, are more productive, have higher value, and their income also improves as a household. Next slide. So there are sustainable business opportunities that exist with FMNR. You know, we are not talking about FMNR as a vulnerable approach to only poor people. This is an approach that works for everyone. It doesn't matter where you are, what you have. Anyone can do FMNR. Women can do it. Men can do it. Youth can do it. Children can do it. The richest people can do it. The poorest can do it. It's actually, in my opinion, an equalizer. It enables everyone to participate in restoration with anything you have. We have Acacia Senegal as a tree that produces gums and resins, which is a multi-billion business opportunity. Imagine it's in the assals where the gums and resins can be found. You can find them in the highlands. 